0: Hello, cyber friends. This is Chatting Cyber, and I'm your host, Mark Schein. This podcast focuses on how companies can help qualify and quantify the cost of a data breach. Chatting Cyber features some of the most well-respected privacy and cyber experts in the world. Join the conversation with business leaders, government agencies, and cyber experts to learn more about how and why they got into this ever-changing field that we call cyber risk. Hello, cyber colleagues. I'm Mark Schein, national co-chair of the Cyber Center of Excellence here at Marsh McClendon Agency and the host of Chatting Cyber Podcast. I'm here with Jim Motella from Corzio Compliance Services. Jim, how are you doing this morning? Good. How are you doing, Mark? Excellent. Thanks for joining the show today. My pleasure. So Jim, and my question to you, how does a gentleman that grew up in Staten Island end up running the Newark field office for the Secret Service?
1: it's, you know, Mark, it's a lot more complicated than just crossing a bridge. Okay. From Staten Island to New Jersey. Um, I was pretty fortunate, uh, to join the secret service at the, uh, at the tender age of 23. And, um, you know, my journey to New Jersey took about 20 plus years to get there. Um, and, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, a lot of great folks that influenced me in law enforcement, who I knew uh, in Staten Island, and as well as around the country, folks that I went to college with professors and whatnot, so.
0: Sure. So Jim, what, I mean, what was a pivotal moment in your career that helped you get to be the director of Porzio where you are today? So,
1: you know, for me, um, 26 years with the Secret Service and, you know, working a lot of cases that we saw as it pertained to financial fraud cases. So, if you think about, you know, late, late 80s, early 90s, a lot of the cases that we were working uh, in the New York field office and other places where I had worked in Arizona uh, as well really started with, you know, things like credit card fraud. And back then, you know, mark credit card fraud was uh, was a, a big problem. But really, the underlying issue that we we kind of touched on, and I saw this very early on in the early '90s, was the fact that you know uh, hackers at that point w- were hacking into databases to look at credit card information, you know, credit report information, and so you think really back then it, it wasn't you know the criminal enterprise that it has become evolved over all these years. So it, it's th- things like that and working a lot of financial pr- fraud cases and the evolution of fraud uh, that kind of got me to the point where I am now where when I was in the Newark field office, at some point, we would get many calls from other offices throughout the country. And they tell us, look, you guys need to go out and talk to a, a car dealership or a bank and let them know that a case in San Francisco that we're working turned up a common point of uh, compromise in you know in New Jersey and I what I what I felt and I knew is that when we'd go out to these businesses they had no idea what was going on they were underprepared and they were overmatched they were easy targets so based upon that you know when I retired I really wanted to focus kind of in the mid-market uh because there is a lot of risk there and there's not a, a lot of maturity depending on the as you know depending on the different industry.
0: Sure. So do you see any similarities with the type of attacks that they were using when you were in the Secret Service to what they're currently using in 2020?
1: You know, if we think about credit cards, right, and the migration to chip and PIN, that has really stopped a lot of uh, fraud at the point of sale. So that was a piece, right? Uh, False applications, that was a piece. But the similarities that I still see, which really is a situation that has evolved with the digitization of information, are, um, is using, you know, genuine or native, uh, true information of individuals to perpetrate these frauds, right? To to take that information and um, to use it as a way to leverage an attack against somebody at an organization using an email, right? Or to use that information. And as we see right now in the kind of COVID world, where, you know, businesses are seeing these, you know, these false uh, unemployment claims being filed and, you know, we see businesses receiving these, uh, you know, almost on a daily basis for active employees. So there's a lot of information that's being stolen and compromised. Again, this, it's kind of an identity theft, uh, if you will, but there's a lot of data out there that's been, you know, aggregated commercially as well as been aggregated by, by cyber criminals in order to leverage attacks.
0: Sure. So, so, given your vast experience and you know the fact that you were part of the Secret Service for close to thirty years, what what are your predictions over the next decade? So, we just entered twenty twenty, thinking about you know twenty thirty. What are your predictions for the next ten years with respect to cybercrime?
1: Well, I predict that we will eventually get out of twenty twenty, which I think <laughs> I think we're already worn out. <laughs> <laughs> if we if we can, if you if you can guarantee that we get to 2030 in <laughs> any state shape or form, I'll be pretty happy right now. Sure. Um but I do think, you know, I think we've seen a real evolution and, and quick migration to a lot of different things that were in play, right? One of them is the you know, working remotely, which you and I are obviously yeah. we're both doing right now, right? Uh I think you know the move away from brick and mortar uh, retail to you know the Amazon effect and everything that's online. I also think that you're looking at you know some of these other trends that we see as far as information, right, news, and different social media platforms. So you know as the as the attack vector uh, you know kind of uh, widens, these types of things are going to be more vulnerable, right? So if you look at you know online online ordering and you know and, and this type of e-commerce, we've seen, you know, disruptions in supply chain issues that we work as part as in investigations because it's the physical and a digital world. But at the end of the day, Mark, it's fraud. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think you're going to see disruptions to supply chains when it comes to e-commerce well, because there's a reliance on e-commerce now. I think the other thing is I, I really do think and, and this may be a bit out of the box, but I think you're going to see some really crowdsourcing of news. Right. Uh, because there's so many different platforms. It's so difficult to tell what's true, what's not true, uh, and, and, and kind of the facts, right? And it's a big influence on how you get people to move. But I think also something that I know you and I talk about, you know, is really using this information that we have and just not, you know, trying to influence people's ideas, but also look at it as trying to influence what people buy, right? When you go on Amazon, everything you bought is there. There's a lot of suggestions, right? And it's usually behavior. How can and I think we're going to see a move towards a more aggressive, uh, you know, uh, activity towards consumer behavior in order to get them to buy stuff. You drive by the Starbucks, the app pops up. Right. I mean, it's this kind of stuff that I think is going to be so really how do we control this information, this great technology and still kind of go about our lives. Um, I think there's going to be a lot more disruption as we go forward.
0: I couldn't agree with you anymore, Jim. I mean, just to clearly, you know, when I, when I was in college, they taught us that the half-life of technology was about 18 months. And I can tell you, it feels like a, a whole lot shorter now in 2020. Um, you know, I want to shift gears because we, we talked about the fact that we are going more towards a, a technology type of uh, uh, um, organization or world effectively. Um, what would be one resource that you think would be most beneficial to help combat the hackers Given the fact that we are becoming a more interconnected uh, um, world, yeah, you know, I think what I see and the
1: clients that I work with, um, I think we've lost control of our personal information. Right, we gave up the rights to that information. You know, when, when you know when you go to a, a, a sporting event, you sign up for a credit card to get a free T-shirt. Right, we thought we were getting over, right what honestly all that information has been aggregated and has been used and being sold you know commercially and I, I think we need to figure out how to get a hold control of our information and I think we see some data protection regulations coming into effect like California Consumer Privacy Act you know and as you see Mike I mean if you've been in this business long enough you've seen a migration of right data breach regulation right 50 states 50 different laws I think you're gonna see the same thing in data privacy I think We've got to kind of, as a society, we've got to get a hold of our information, and we have to, unfortunately, make it—you know—put more, um, more obligation on businesses on how they, how they have our information, what they do with our information. As we, as consumers, need to get kind of control of our information. Again, we understand that it's ours. You know, in Europe, it's a very different situation. You know, identification information is seen in a very different way. So we need to get a hold of it. Number one, I think number two. You know, I think technology is going to keep on evolving. The hackers are going to keep on, um, you know, evolving as well. I'm not sure if we'll ever really catch up, but we need to be more resilient. And I think we need to kind of figure out how, how is that? What does that resiliency look like? What are our critical systems? What is our critical data? And how can we make sure that we're doing the very most that we can from an administrative issue as far as training, policies, procedures, technology, right? what technologies that we can use that are, that are agile and, and that address things. And then I still think we need to look at physical issues, physical issues and administrative issues is kind of a low hanging fruit here. And things that I think we can do when you, when you consider your 90% of all data breaches start with an email, you know, that, that says a lot, I mean, you have the best technology, but if you let, if you let them in, you know, uh, it, there's still a human factor that we, we talk about a lot.
0: Absolutely. And I I think that's a great pivotal point to our next uh, next topic, public private partnerships in the cyberspace. What's your stance on that?
1: Yeah, I I have to say that, you know, in government and with Secret Service, we really learned early that we needed to work with financial institutions, right? Um, And we would form these ad hoc groups and things have gotten a lot more sophisticated. As far as that, even within the groups, right? The the FSI SAC and other groups like that. I think we need to continue to do this, and I think also government realizes now, especially on social with social media, they can't do it by themselves. There has to be some cooperation between the public and the private. But also, you know, the thing that always comes into play is individuals' rights, right? Uh, we've got commercial entities with a lot of information. You know, how does the government regulate that? But really, it's got to be a partnership protecting individual rights. It's a tough mix, but really, I think it's the only way to go because you know the government doesn't have all the answers. Private industry has very specific things that they're doing, and together we need to kind of figure out what are the threats we need to work on, focus on those, and then collaborate as best possible.
0: Right. So, last question for you, and and you know I I want to ask for your your most challenging, but maybe one of your top three. You could talk us. You know, one of one of your more challenging uh, um, instances that you had, whether it was a breach, that incident, and what made it so complex, and what the solutions you were able to deploy to help the client in the end.
1: Yeah. So very early on, it at uh, at Purzio, I I got a um, a LinkedIn message from someone I had never met before, that was referred to me through someone that actually, of course, that I knew and they were at a fairly large, uh, a fairly large uh, business that they did handle cybersecurity and cyber risk. Actually what happened is one of their clients, one of the, the supporting businesses for their clients had a ransomware attack. So, you know, this was super challenging. And and the reason was because, you know, there's a couple of questions that we always ask and things that we talk about. The first one is, do you have insurance, right? Uh, the answer was, not cybersecurity insurance, right? Do you have access to backups? No, we don't. We just figured out that the MS managed service provider that we were paying uh, to do this work, uh, did not pay the bill, the, the invoice uh, for the hosting company. So now we've got right this, do you have any access to any of your systems? No, we don't. Okay. So, so basically it's, it's the, the three things that have just gone wrong that just, you can't, you can't bounce back from, you know, so we're talking a, a business a manufacturing company with about you know uh, 250 employees making you know uh, a consumer product dead in the water right so where do you start right so it's you start with a, ne- a negotiation of uh, uh, you know this red actor who are going to use what company out there are you going to be able to work with that's going to be able to do this because this is a very difficult tricky thing to do right? So we we were very lucky. We had just met a, a partner who we thought would be excellent. We got them enlisted. We got one of our attorneys uh, enlisted. You know, from uh, from the firm, got got me on the phone. and Then we started having conversations with their with their CEO, the CFO. You know, and as we roll through this thing, we ran kind of three things concurrently. We ran the negotiation with the Threat Actor. We still looked at ins- the insurance policy to see if there's anything there that maybe could have been covered that wasn't in the data breach, right? Maybe a disruption. I know that's, that's been a thing that people have looked at. There was an IT team on, on, you know, on, on premise, this was a state away, right? What, could they reconstitute the backups? Is there any way to do anything, you know? So you kind of re-ran these th- three things concurrently. And at the end of the day, we realized that we had one option, you know, or I present the client with a lot of options, right? I, I think paying ransom is probably the last thing you should ever do, right? And it, it be, it's become a situation right now where there's a lot of legal issues, um, you know, uh, with OFAC and other things that you really have to navigate. So for me to be able to help the client and the response with an attorney, right, providing advice and risk advice, you really, you have to lay it out and let the business owner make the make that decision. I can only provide them the resources and, the, and, and some guidance to do that. Because at the end of the day, Mark, it's their money. It's their decision. Um, at the end of the day, you know, within a week, the client had made the decision to 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 make a payment, uh, which we let him do. That was not something that you know we were physically involved in. That was something that, that they did. But you know, the tr- the tricky part about this was, you know, we still once we get the description tool, we you know they still had to implement it, implemented. and it's not a smooth process, right? Things are very clunky. But you know, after about seven or eight days, you know, they were back up and running, and it was a tough situation because in these cases, as you know, you have to put everything else to the side that you're doing. Absolutely. The business is in crisis; they're looking for for help. You're trying to manage, you know, various types of um, you know vendors and and understand, you know, Bitcoin payments. Do you negotiate? Should they negotiate? You know, Bitcoin payment by the amount or by the number of coins? Well, guess what. amount (laughs) because the value is always going to change on a daily basis so there's lots of tricky things where if you know honestly where if you you, if they had a you know cybersecurity insurance and all the things that you do it would have been a much smoother transition because a lot of those things are set in place and those processes move quicker right And, and and the client wasn't looking at everything out of pocket so that was a that was a tricky one that was a real tricky one that we had to deal with
0: yeah, no, that sounds like a challenge. And I would think well, as they're down for the seven or eight days, they're thinking about all the revenue that they're not able to generate right. because they're not able to make that widget or whatever they were making. So I appreciate that story probably more so than you could appreciate. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, and conversely,
1: you know what it is, you know, so stories like that, Mark, you know, when we deal with mid-level businesses, we say to them, it can't explain all the risk. The risk is everywhere, right? It's it's just every everything you do, there's risk, right, in- involved in it. In- in in the, in the cyber world, but I, you have to kind of say, and this is where we get with with CFOs. How much does it cost to be down for a day? Yeah, and it's a simple question. And you know what? That CFO they know, they know right off the top that's of right. their head. And 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 then we kind of figure out, we work back, and we've talked about the digital asset approach um, before. That I know Ariel Evans from the Pace Pace Cybersecurity Program that we both know, and I think that's a great way to approach it. You know, where's that asset? Who owns it? How much does it cost? You know, using things like the Ponemon Institute and various you know facts like that, it, it helps quantify it. I think most people just want to be able to quantify it, the spend um, on the back end, because you and I know it costs a lot more on the on the uh, you know on the back end than on the
0: front end. Absolutely, I'm a big supporter of the Ponemon stats, as you know. I sit on their board, and we right. are together. I mean, you're you're founder of the the or the co-founder of that Pace University program. Do you want to just uh, uh, let our listeners know what what it is and and uh, how they may be able to find it and sign
1: up. Yeah, so you know, Ariel Evans who's the founder and CEO of uh, a few companies. and one of them is Cyber Intelligence for You. Uh, her and I worked together before, and you know, and, and she was able to uh, able to uh, work with the Pace University, and we've got a great program uh, that's really integrated into Pace, uh, working with their uh, cybersecurity uh, excellence program and uh it's online uh at you know up at pace inside sideberg uh college and uh you know i think you're gonna like it there's a lot of good stuff there talks about cyber risk and some other programs but it's probably one of the more robust programs that i've seen and we're really looking forward to getting to see students in class uh but also online And, and just the kind of community of cyber resilience that we're building you know at pace with 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 people like yourselves you know subject matter experts in the area of technology and various things.
0: Jim, uh, certainly appreciate the time that you spent with us today. Thank you for coming on the show and chatting cyber.
1: All right, take care Mark, thank you.